Well, good morning, everyone. If you could open your Bibles and turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. We're looking at verses 4 and 5. I know the bulletin says verses 1 through 4. It's my bad. Verses 4 through 5. And it says this. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would open our minds to understand the truth in this passage and that you would apply it to our hearts today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, every building has a designed purpose. And that purpose consists of gathering people together and then focusing them on the same thing. A building brings people together and focuses them on one thing. So an office is meant to gather people together and then focus them on the task of working. A home is meant to gather people together and focus them on living with each other with all the the rooms and the supplies that they need in order to live. They have a designed purpose. Now, if you try to use a building for something other than its designed purpose, a lot of the time it can go horribly wrong, maybe even worse than we would expect. When I was in high school, I was on a cross-country team, and there was a convenience store right next to our school, and we had to run past it almost every single day. And my freshman year, somebody on our team, could have been me, could have not been me, had this brilliant idea that instead of running around the convenience store like a normal group of people would do, we should instead run straight through the convenience store. In one door and out the other door, only about 20 feet away. And as you might imagine, the owner of the convenience store did not think that was as funny as I did. Because, as it turns out, as it's been explained to me, a convenience store is meant to gather people together to buy things conveniently and not for 250 screaming high schoolers to run through it all at the same time. I went to a large high school. Now, on the other hand, when you use a building the way that it's intended to be used, when you fulfill its designed purpose, it serves everybody properly. It's a glorious thing. You might have seen on TV, or maybe you were even there, the UCF game yesterday. And, yeah, it was wonderful. And one of the best parts is seeing all of those students and all those alumni in one place screaming like they don't care what the rest of the week holds in store. Like they don't even want their voices anymore. They're just going to scream their guts out. They're going to be united around this one thing. The building has a purpose of bringing all those students together and focusing them on that team. And as they do that together, that purpose is fulfilled. Now, the Bible calls us The church, the temple of God, calls us God's spiritual house. And since temples and houses are buildings, it follows that the church has an intended purpose. It has a designed purpose by God. It's meant to gather people together and then focus them on one singular thing. And before we look at what that designed purpose is and what it is that we're being gathered around and oriented to, we need to answer the question, what even is a temple? What are we even talking about here? 
Well, the Bible tells us that a temple is the place on earth where God dwells. A temple is God's house on earth. Remember in the Old Testament that God rescued an oppressed people group from Israel, or from from Egypt. This people group was called Israel. And he took them out of all that oppression and took them into their own land. He gave them their own home. And as glorious as that is in and of itself, right, the story could end with God taking an oppressed people group out of slavery and giving them their own land and their own identity and their own home. But instead of leaving it there, God said, not only that, but I am also going to live in that home with you. I'm going to rescue you, give you your own home, and I am going to dwell there with you. Now, in order for God to live with them, he told Israel to build a temple for him to live inside of. In the early days, there was this kind of temporary housing situation called the tabernacle, where God would live inside of this tent and be in their midst, be in their presence in order to bless them, and give them forgiveness while they built a permanent temple, while they stacked stone on stone and built this permanent temple that God would inhibit in their land. Now, a question, that a logical question that probably comes to mind is, if God created everything, you know, he owns this entire universe, it's all his, why would he live in this tiny building? Because to you and me, the temple was a huge, miraculous place, but to God, it's still a tiny building, and why would he live there? Thankfully, the Bible answers that question for us. In 1 Kings chapter 8, this is the king of Israel right after the temple has finished being built, and he is praying to God in 1 Kings 8, 27 through 29, and he says, if it gets up there, it says, but will God really dwell on earth? The heavens, even the highest heaven, cannot contain you, my God. How much less this temple that I have built. And so we have the king of Israel recognizing that God is so big that even the universe cannot contain him. Even the multiverse, if you're into that kind of thing, can't contain God. It is He is too big. It's not like we can bottle up God in a mason jar like a kid catches a lizard in a mason jar. That's not what's going on here. It is God choosing to be there. Look at verse 29. It says, May your eyes be open toward the temple day and night. This place of which you have said, My name shall be there, so that you will hear the prayer your servant prays toward this place. It is not that God is being contained within a space because he, We're able to do that to him. It is his own choosing to dwell among us. His name, his very identity, is in the temple. And that's wonderful. Like that, that is a glorious truth in and of itself. But it gets even better because in the New Testament we find that Jesus fulfills that definition of a temple. Remember, what is a temple? It is a place where God lives on earth. And Jesus, being God, lived on earth, and is therefore the new temple. He is a spiritual temple. That's why it tells us in John 1.14, it says, The word became flesh, and he dwelt among us. That is, Jesus became flesh, and he dwelt among us. And what's interesting, that word 
dwelt in this verse is referring to being a temple. It's actually the word for tabernacling among us, to make it a verb, that Jesus became the temple in our presence. And so we see this progression where the temple in the Old Testament was a physical building, a place that actually had walls and a roof, and God lived inside of it by his own choosing until Christ came and became the new temple in its place. And because of that, we're going to see two main things today. We're going to see that because God has made us his temple in Christ, we have two responsibilities. We need to gather before God in worship, and we need to gather together in community. So the first thing, we see that God has made us his temple, so we should gather before him in worship. And there are two main things in this passage that are going to prove that to us. And first, there's the idea that we are living stones. Look at verse 5 again. It says that you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. Now, in the Old Testament, the temple was actually made out of stones. And as you can imagine, those stones were not alive. They were just regular stones making a regular building. And it was a wonderful building. It was an extravagant building. It was as if... Uh, Chip and Joanna had redesigned an entire Costco. It was huge, it was glorious, but it was still a building. Think about the, the UCF stadium and how it's built of metal and it has cinder blocks and there's a grass field. It has all these different materials. And what this passage is telling us is that we actually become the materials that make the temple of God. We are the living stones of the temple. It would be like saying that a group of people comprise the metal that make up the bleachers of the football stadium and the grass that makes up the field. We really are the materials of God's temple. And it means that he is truly indwelling us as we gather together. It is not that God enters this building because it's a church building. He enters this building because of the people here. We are that spiritual structure of the temple. And what's amazing about that is that it means when we sing and we confess our faith and our sin together and we do all these acts of worship, it's not that our worship rises through the ceiling of UPC and goes through the atmosphere, through the sky where it meets God in heaven. But instead, it means that our worship actually meets God right in this place. He is right here among us. And we are communicating with him directly. And he speaks back to us through his word. So let's talk about what it means to be a holy priesthood. In the Old Testament, only a handful of people actually got to walk into the temple. And God's presence is in the temple. And a few select people called priests would walk in and stand in God's presence on behalf of everyone else. So the common people like you and me would stand on the outside of that temple and watch as their priest entered for them, stood in God's presence, received God's blessing, all of which was then mediated back to the people. And that's a good setup. It means that everyone truly does benefit from God's presence. But again, we find in this passage that the New Testament makes it even better. 
because it's no, it's no longer that a priest enters the temple on our behalf. It's that all of us are formed into a priesthood where we all together stand in God's presence. Our pastors and our elders do not walk into the temple on our behalf and then mediate God's blessing and presence to us, but we ourselves make that temple and we are in his presence. That is our designed purpose. Now, I used to live in Los Angeles, which is a a little town in Southern California. Maybe you've heard of it. And one of the really popular things for people to do when they visit L.A. is to go on these bus tours of celebrity neighborhoods where you get on a bus and you drive around Malibu and Beverly Hills and Venice Beach and a bus tour driver will point out all these celebrities' houses to you. And it's kind of exciting, but it's actually not that great. Imagine if a friend came back from visiting Los Angeles and they told you, you'll never believe what I saw when I was in L.A. I saw Denzel Washington's house. That... That's not really that cool. You saw a house. I could Google that. But wouldn't it hit you a lot more if your friend came home from L.A. and said, you won't believe it, I was driving past Denzel Washington's house, and Denzel came out of his house, and he opened his huge golden gates, because I imagine that Denzel has big golden gates, and he invited us in. We sat at his dinner table. We spoke with him. We spent the evening getting to know him. And we were in his very presence because he invited us. That's a whole different situation. And that is a little bit like the difference between observing church kind of from the outside, being here and watching as everything goes on, and actually recognizing that God is present here, and you get to participate in that. Singing songs and confessing our faith, all of those are things that we do because God is here. And when we recognize that, it heightens the whole experience, that we are not watching from the outside of a house, but we truly stand before our God. Not only are we in his house, but we actually are his house He is dwelling here with us. Now, I think that most of us struggle from time to time with thinking about church as an errand. I go to the grocery store. I go to drop my kid off at school. I go to church. And it just slides in among a list of other responsibilities that we have. And it's easy to see why we might be tempted to think that way. Church service lasts about the same amount of time as if you were to go grocery shopping. Uh, Definitely takes the same amount of time as dropping your kids off at school if you live in Avalon Park. Got to fix those insane roads down there. But church is so, so much more than that. This is not an errand. This is a time when you actually get to commune with your Creator. You know, think about whatever celebrity you would love to meet. And if you won some contest to hang out with them, it's a Tad Hamilton type situation. And you go to their house and you meet them. They're probably going to forget you the next day. Because they have other things to worry about. You are just some other person to them. But when we come to church, we are invited by God, by his own choice, to meet our He is not a celebrity. He is our very 
creator. And we have the privilege to spend time with him. There's no greater gift that God can give us than himself. And that's what we get. We get it all the time, but we get it in a unique way on Sunday when we come together and his presence is truly here in a special way. So we have to ask ourselves, how do we think of church as an errand? You know, how do you know if you think of church as an errand? Well, you know that you think of church as an errand if somebody ever offers for you to do something different on Sunday morning and you think about it. That's really all it takes. Because when we think about it, when we consider other things that we could be doing instead of gathering with the people of God to worship before him, we've shown our misconception about church. That we don't see it as God's presence here, but just an errand. And what is that thing for you? What tempts you to skip church? The best farmer's markets are open on Sunday morning. Disney World has shorter lines on Sunday morning. Not short, but shorter. You might even get a good parking spot at the beach if you go on Sunday morning. But we have to ask ourselves, has God made any of those places his temple? And he hasn't. So one thing that we should strive toward together is to stop thinking about church as a place that we go to. Because we are not going to church. We are coming to worship. We are coming to God's presence. And that's a really hard transition to make. I've probably already said go to church in this sermon because it's a hard thing to get out of our vocabulary. But when we do, when we strive for it, we see our hearts start to change as we no longer see it as a thing that we go to, but a privilege to stand before the presence of our creator. You know, one of the most exciting things on Sunday is when you see the service just come to life. You know, the the days that you can tell that everybody is focused on God's presence here. And that makes sense. It's fitting that we're called living stones and the service would come to life like that. You can feel it on a Sunday when everyone's heart is focused on worshiping God and actually participating in all these elements of worship the singing, confession of sin, all of it. Now, you want to know the number one thing that I tell people when they're looking for a new church? Like if I have a friend moving to a new city and they're looking for a new church, you know, after the obvious things like having sound teaching and ethical pastors, the number one diagnostic is that you need to be able to hear people with bad voices singing loud. Because... If you can hear bad voices singing loud, you know that you are in a congregation that gets it. That God is present and he demands all of our worship. He created your bad voice, which will one day be restored and beautiful. (laughs) But until then, we get to gather, we get to offer him these spiritual sacrifices, our worship, our singing, even if we are not as equipped as other people At singing, we get to do it, and it's a privilege because God is truly here. So we're God's temple. We should gather before him in community. Or sorry, we should gather before him in worship. But the second thing is that we should gather together in community. The first thing we want to see here is that this passage is full of the word you. As you come to him, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. 
And it's important to recognize that all of those yous are actually y'alls. These are plural yous. I think that we need a Southern English standard version because it captures the meaning so much more. This is as y'all come to him, y'all, y'all selves like living stones are being built up. And that changes how we read it. Yes, we experience God as individuals. We have his presence all the time as individuals. But when we come together, as this passage is telling us to do, that is when God is present in a unique way. He doesn't just want us before him in worship. He wants us together in worship. Now, do you remember back in the day before Netflix when we were watching TV shows, and you'd actually go to somebody's house to watch TV as a group experience. For seven years, from the ages of 11 to 18 for me and my older siblings and all their friends, there would be 30 people in my house every single week of the TV season to watch Lost. And every single week, and there would be people there an hour early to talk about What might happen this episode? How might they answer last week's cliffhanger, which they never did? And they'd stay an hour late, two hours late, coming up with theories. How do we explain what just happened? Why was Jacob in that foot statue? Why was the polar bear there? Just going over everything. But the best part, not only were people coming early, not only were we engaged and setting apart time from our schedules to do this, it's the diversity of the people that were there. There were so many people that just would not get along outside of this context. We had the most athletic people from school all there. We had the, the gamers and people that, that uh, designed computer programs being best friends over loss. We had the staunchest of Democrats and the, the, most, uh, the most soulful of Republicans. And we even had a Green Party guy. Like, we had everybody here watching Lost together. And all those differences, they just fade away. They just You forget them because you're bonding over something similar. You have community focused on one thing. You're fulfilling some designed purpose to have community as you bond over one thing. And if that can happen because of a TV show, it can happen so, so much more because of a shared passion for God. That is the kind of community that this demands. We're talking about a God that transcends our different hobbies, our different voting ballots, our conflicting personalities, like truly people that you would not get along with. You share the most important commonality that there is. Because loss, you know, that's so insignificant. But what is, signi- what is the most significant is that we are all created in God's image. And when that image is restored and focused on the thing that it is meant to imitate, then together we start to love each other. We start to foster true community in the most important, significant area of our lives. There's nothing more important than our identity in Christ. And that's why it says in Ephesians 2 that we are being joined together into a temple for the Lord. It's when we're most united in the task of worshiping him, he is most present among us. So the question is, how do we 
actually do this? How do we actually apply this to ourselves? And the first one is that if you're not in a community group, you should really consider being in a community group. And 75% of you already are. But for the other 25%, I would just appeal to you to consider it, to visit a couple, get to know some of our community groups, because there's no better way to find meaningful relationships in church. There's not even a better way to find meaningful relationships outside of church. This really is the main thing. We really do grow up spiritually in community groups. That's why it talks about building a temple. You know, the temple, it's not that it goes from nothing to constructed immediately. No, this is a construction site. And God is the architect and he works on our hearts through each other. Not because he has to, but because he desires to. Now, if you're already in a community group, this passage is telling us to branch out, you know, to stay involved, as involved as you already are with your community group, to build those relationships even further, but to go and meet people that you wouldn't otherwise meet. If the church is God's house, then it can be so tempting to just camp out in one room of that house. Say, this is my room. This is all I will do. When there are so many other rooms, there are corridors and hallways and elevators. There are just all these things of God's house that we have to explore. Think of how many living stones are in this room right now that we just don't know. And this passage calls us to move away from a you viewpoint to a y'all viewpoint, to be excited to get to know new living stones. It's easy to assume that the people that aren't in your exact station of life don't want to get to know you. It's easy to assume that if you're a a young married couple with kids that an unmarried adult of your same age wouldn't want to hang out with you. And that's a bad assumption. We should be crossing those kind of lines, those, those differences between us and truly getting to know one another. If you're a high schooler or a college student, we shouldn't be shying away from serving in junior high group or kids ministries just because they're younger than you or you think they're less mature than you. Remember, it's not that long ago that you were also there. And the only reason that you were built up as a Christian is because of other high schoolers and college students that helped you along the way while you were in junior high. Be a part of building up. We should branch into different personality types than our own. Things, people that conflict with us. We find commonality of the most significant kind in church because we are living stones of one temple. This means that introverts, my fellow introverts, we cannot be using our introversion as a reason, an excuse to not get to know new people. As tempting as that is. It means that we need to go a little bit out of our comfort zone to meet somebody new, to uh, not turn down that invitation when you're invited to somebody's house to get to know them. And for my extroverted friends, it means slowing down a little bit when you start to meet somebody new and they seem closed off. It means not immediately brushing them aside as unfriendly or anything like that, but taking the time to meet them at their own speed and get to know them. There are so many different types of living stones. 
get to know them. It's when we do this together that we see that the temple truly is a diverse and wonderful place of many living stones, and we should be pursuing that together. About 10 years ago, I went to a concert for one of my favorite bands, and a friend and I uh, may have skipped school. Don't tell anyone that, though. And got in line at 5 a.m., and beat everybody else there. It was a 20,000-person stadium that we were going to, and we decided we're going to be the first people there so we can be right up against the rail, and we did. We were the first people there. But there were so many fans there. There were everybody raising their hands. Everybody joined in unison around one thing. There was even a group of people behind us in line who were traveling from city to city, even across the world, country to country, following this band going to every concert for a year, basically giving a year of their lives away for this. But the reality is, as wonderful as something like a concert or a shared experience at a football game is, we don't actually remember those things for very long. And it was 10 years ago for that concert, and I can't tell you what the set list was. I can't tell you the names of the people I met. I can give you vague details. They're temporary, they're fleeting things. And what's mesmerizing is that right now we're talking about a temple, something that originated thousands of years ago, and it still has bearing on our lives. And not only is the temple still around, not only is it better because it's in Christ, but the temple never goes away. Look at Revelation 7, what it says. It says, Behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and all peoples and languages, standing before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God, and they serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. See, when we come together as the temple of God, living stones coming from Sanford and Waterford and Lake Nona, when we come together and we experience what it is to be the temple of God, this is not an isolated event, but it is a foreshadowing of what we will experience forever in heaven with Christians from all over time and all over the globe as we worship God in his eternal temple, which is his presence. Sunday morning is not merely something that we do. It's not a building that we come to, and it's not an errand, but it is God's very presence. And it is a foretaste of what is to come forever. So let's commit at UPC to worshiping God as a community full of sincere hearts every week. Now let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have decided to dwell among us and have a relationship with us, not because it benefits you at all, but because you want that for us. There's no greater gift that you give us than yourself. I pray that As we think about this passage, it would 
you would be transforming our hearts to crave more and more every week to come into your presence as a foretaste of what is to come. I pray that we would do that as a community of believers. I pray this in your name. Amen.